Are you a doctor, attorney, high-level manager, CEO, or business professional in a high-stress environment? And if you're a teacher, did you know that according to a recent Gallup poll that teaching and nursing are tied for daily stress? Teaching can be a lonely profession when educators lack support, training and strategies for classroom management, leading to a lack of job satisfaction, disintegrating health, depression, and teacher attrition. Whatever profession you're in, we can't escape the demands of everyday life. So on today's episode, we'll cover new strategies for overcoming work burnout before it takes a toll on our health, job satisfaction, productivity, and motivation. Today on episode 212, we'll be speaking with Dr. Sharon Grossman, otherwise known as the burnout doc, who will provide us with a fresh perspective of an age-old problem with tools and strategies that she uses on many of her own clients to take the steps to prevent work burnout before it occurs. For returning guests, welcome back. And for those who are new here, I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator with a passion for learning, understanding difficult concepts, and breaking them down so we can all use and apply the most current research to improve our results in our daily life. Today, we're going to look at work burnout from a different angle. We did launch the year with Nick Johnson on strategies for overcoming stress, anxiety, and depression in the workplace. And then with mood and stress expert Erica First on episode 198 on using your brain to prevent work burnout. But I saw something different with our next guest. And here's why. Dr. Grossman sent me an email that went above and beyond any email I've ever received. She took a considerable amount of time to not only create a video introduction for her work, but to let me know how the content on our podcast resonated with her and her work with stress management. She mentioned all of the ways that we would have a great conversation as we could dig deeper into our theme of season seven, which is brain health and well-being. And I sometimes even forget myself what our theme is, even though I've got a note right on my computer monitor to remind me and keep me on track. But Dr. Grossman not only knew our theme, but how she could provide new insight and ideas into work burnout with our brain in mind and take our content to another level. What I didn't know after her incredible introduction, as I began to read her book, The 70s Solution to Burnout, is that I realized that Dr. Grossman is not much different from anyone else, except for the fact that she experienced work burnout herself and noticed she wasn't going above and beyond for her clients. So she created a system that she used herself in addition to sharing it with others to impact change, to combat work burnout, and she wants to share the system with all of us. I can't wait to dive deeper into some solutions for the issue that I'm sure many of you listening have faced in the past, if you aren't experiencing it to some extent today, with some ideas of how an understanding of our brain can help us to better manage our mind while under stress. Let's meet Dr. Sharon Grossman. 
Can we begin when you noticed some signs of burnout, when you stopped wanting to go above and beyond for your clients? And when you said this, I can look back to times when I've actually lost zest for what I was doing, but I didn't know if this was burnout or boredom. So can you explain what happened, how you knew it was burnout and where it all began for you? Yeah, well, it's kind of an interesting thing. So I was, this is, kind of before I was a full on coach and I was doing more therapy. So I would see people on a weekly basis in my office because it was pre COVID. And uh, my goal is always to help build your toolbox so that you don't need me anymore. Right. So I'm not trying to create a dependence. I'm I'm there to help you be really empowered and have tools that you can use as you need them. So you come in, you learn how uh, there's there's these different tools that you can use that apply to your situation. And then the goal is to take it out into the world and actually use them. And so I've always kind of been under that model. And then at some point I felt like every day was just kind of checking the box, right? So I guess we can call it the checking the box syndrome. <laughs> Right. Where it was like, OK, I'm showing up and I'm doing a decent job. Right. Nobody's like worse off because they came to see me. But I'm also not as engaged and enthusiastic and I'm not really digging for more new tools for them and things like that. And that's a, a change from my norm. And I guess that could be one of the warning signs for people listening is are you, it's not about like how other people are doing it. Cause I could compare myself to other therapists and they weren't doing all the things that I was doing. So I could just, you know, say, well, you know, that's normal, but it's not about the comparison. It's really about comparing yourself to yourself and how was I prior and how am I now? And if there's been a change then we want to look at what's going on at that same time, I just so happened to be doing a lot of research on burnout because I was writing a book. So I had heard the word before, like a lot of people have heard it, but I didn't really understand what it meant. And I, and I come to found, find out after doing this research, as I start talking to my clients about it, that they don't know what it means either. Right. And right. So, so we're like, oh, we, we hear these words tossed around, but like, how do you define it? And what do I look out for? And what does it all mean? Right. So I would listen to them and they would start to say things and I'd be like, it sounds like you're burning out. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. And so I started to see that more and more people aren't really aware of what's going on. And so it all kind of came together where I was getting clarity on what burnout was. I was kind of testing it out with my clients and saying like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense. They're connecting the dots. And then thinking about my own situation and saying, you know, this isn't like hardcore burnout by any stretch, but I can start to see some warning signs and I got to do something about this because there's only one, one direction this is going, you know, if you don't do anything about it, it's only going to get worse. And the entire premise of how I set my, my, my practice up initially was with that mindset of avoiding burnout. So there's a little bit of a backstory to this right? Which was that when I was in grad school, I went to a conference and I attended this session by a psychologist in private practice. And one of the things that really stuck with me is he said, practitioners in private practice tend to really burn out a lot. 
right? And I was like, oh, I'm never going to go into private practice. I don't want that to be me. And then, you know, fast forward, there was the day when it was time for me to do this. It was like the next logical move in my career. And I was like, but I don't want to be one of those people. Like, how do I prevent this from happening? And so I was really strategic about how I set myself up, right? And so I found a location for my office that was walking distance to the gym so I could go work out in the middle of the day. And I spaced out my clients so that I have time for breaks and I would do my paperwork and I wouldn't have to take stuff home. So I did all this stuff intentionally. And then I still had this experience where, you know, after doing it for a couple of years, all of a sudden I'm starting to see that I don't have that pizzazz when it comes to work. It's just like, okay, check, check, check. I saw this person. I saw this person. It's another day. It's another week. Right. And so if you're getting into that check the box mentality or syndrome or whatever we're going to call it, then that might be the beginning of something to look into. Got it. And when I heard your story, I remember feeling that, but not knowing or even thinking of it being burnout, just knowing there's something not right. I'd lost the zest and and the passion that I know that I had for what I was doing and that something needed to change. But I, I don't think I would have labeled it burnout. I wouldn't have known. Like, I was just like, can I keep doing this same thing over and over again? I, I couldn't imagine how anything was going to change. So. Yeah. Well, when we start digging into the different aspects of burnout, one of the things that we look at is engagement and there's, the version of burnout where you're kind of burning out because you're overly engaged. And those are the people that just have like so much going on and they're like an overwhelmed city. Right. And then there's the people who are under engaged. They might not feel challenged by their work or they might feel bored with what they're doing. It might be that you really crave mental stimulation. And, you know, as I imagine a lot of your listeners are, cause this is a neuroscience kind of podcast, right. But the work that you do is monotonous or not very exciting. So depending on your specific needs, your personality, things like that, it's going to determine how engaged you are. And depending also on the work and the match between you and your work. Uh, so we look at engagement as one of the key indicators of what's going on with you. And that can give you an insight into maybe there's some burnout happening. That's so interesting because it was definitely engagement that was missing. And I was always trying to meet with different departments and find a different way that ideas could be flown forward. And there was one time when my work created this committee of people that could um, like a think tank and you could all put your ideas in. And I'm think, I think that was when I was the most engaged with my work when I was like, let's throw out all these ideas that are in my head that I wish I could use in my everyday work and be more creative. That was like a great solution for the company to create something like that, to engage their um, under challenged employees, I think. Exactly. And if you're the kind of person who thrives on ideas and creativity and knowledge and learning, then that's something that you probably want to tap into. And that's kind of the person that I am, right? So when, that's why the version of the service that I was providing as a therapist was, Hey, I'm going to like explore all the things that can help you. And I'm going to reach into like every corner of the world and find tools and give it to you. And like teach you things that you probably would never have access to, because I want you to like know all the things that 
are part of the menu of options and then let you decide what works, what doesn't work, what you want to try, what you don't want to try. Right. But like that, that was what excited me about the work. I always, people always said to me, like, how could you listen to people's problems all day? Doesn't that just exhaust you? Isn't that like, don't you burn out doing that? And I'm like, no, because I approach the work as a problem solver. Like, I'm like, okay, you have a problem. Let's look for a solution. And then my job is to be the detective and kind of try to string things together. So for me, as somebody who's like really in love with knowledge and learning, it's, it's actually a challenge. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of us need that challenge with our work. And so what I love about the strategies and solutions that you offer is that you come from the inside out without people having to change their environment. And I know this is how long-term change occurs uh, because, you know, we could be in the most stressful work environments, but turn them around with your solution. So do you think that we could look at like a scenario that's a typical workplace stressful environment and you just kind of walk me through how you would help someone solve it from the inside out without saying, you know, get a new job. Could we do that? I just give you something that I know most people. Yeah, let's do it. I think that's actually really fun because it puts things um, it makes things a little bit more concrete for people right. and, and I, and it helps it stick. So yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this is one that I saw recently, like this, this week. So okay. it's, it's 8 PM at night and this employee is still working and their workday began at 7 AM and probably a few hours before that with the kids getting up and stuff. And then they drop the kids at school and then their calls go straight through to 5 30 PM but there's a report that needs to get done and they have to present the report to the company the next day. So instead of throwing it together haphazardly in the morning, they're gonna spend the nighttime working on it. And that's why it's 8 p.m. and they're still working and they're thinking, gosh, you know, nothing, this just doesn't end. Every day seems to be a repeat of this. There's something else that they've got to work on. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone whose workday looks like this, like straight through, no breaks, no time to schedule exercise in the day? Like, you know, unless of course it's before all this happens, how, how can such a stressful day be turned around to be more manageable? Well, there's a lot of different things that we can a lot of different directions, I would say that we can go in. Um, so we'll, we'll just kind of jump around and uh, I'll just present some things that pop into my mind. As you said that first, you said, you know, they won't have time to even exercise or work out or do anything like that. And I always say, if that's, it's that's, if that's the consequence of what's happening, if you're noticing that you're working and there's like no time for you, then you're doing it all wrong right? You're putting yourself last and you're saying, if there's time, then I'll work out, then I'll meditate, then I'll breathe, then I'll stretch, then I'll do whatever for me, right? So I'm going to give away the farm. And if there's any like crumbs left over, then I get to keep them. And I'm like, that doesn't work, <laughs> right? What, what if you're not in control of your schedule? What if these calls are set by, by them? <laughs> They're not, obviously you would schedule them if you could with a break so that you could exercise. But what if your company is blocking you off and even double booking you? Sometimes you've got two or three calls that you would never do this yourself. But what if this is just the work environment you're in? 
Well, yeah, that's a really good question. And I think a lot of times we feel like if there is a request or a demand or an expectation that we have to jump through all the hoops and make whatever it is happen, even if it's completely unreasonable. And I think it's important to take a step back and ask yourself, what would make this actually work for both of us? If you're going to be in this long term, this model is never going to work. It might work like if you're in a crunch and you got to get through a deadline, right? We always make amends, but it can't be the norm. And that's why we're seeing so many people burn out because these expectations aren't realistic. And sometimes your job's not going to know that. You're going to have to take responsibility for yourself and set some boundaries and say, listen, like I can't work eight, 10 hours with no breaks, or I can't work eight, 10 hours, and then also have a report that is thrown at me very last minute so that I can present it the next morning and have like no time to work on it. So, you know, at that point you start to negotiate and you say, so, you know, I can either work on this report or I can attend this meeting, which one would be most important for you that I spend my time on. In other words, I'm going to only work these amount of hours And would you prefer that I attend the meeting and then somebody else work on the report or I can work on the report tomorrow or, or it doesn't get done, right? Is is that meeting that important? Or can someone else go to the meeting and I can have that time to work on the report, right? In other words, we're not going to just bend over backwards and give all our time to work because that's just not, that should be a non-negotiable, right? right? Like we can't, we can't do everything for our job and then And then of course, when you do do that, as we saw in the example, then you sit there and you're so resentful, Mm -hmm. right? So it's up to each person to share how they're feeling and and set those boundaries. You have to do that because your job, your, your employer, your manager, they're paying you to do some work and they're always going to look for ways to squeeze more out of you. It makes financial sense for them, right? And it's up to you to say, I'm happy to do that, but let's let's prioritize, right? Or I'm already working this many hours, or you know, I I don't have any breaks throughout the day the way that you have me in these back-to-back meetings. So I have to take a lunch break. I mean, by law, you're like entitled to that. So uh, I'm going to take off from 12 to 1230. And then I also need 15 minutes in the morning and whatever, whatever it is for you, right? Like I need to have a little bit of white space in my calendar also to catch up with email. Like you want me to go to meetings, but then there's also emails and there's phone calls I have to return. And you want me to work on a report. Like there's no time for all those things. So something has to change. And either somebody else attend that meeting and then I can have time to do those things or just know that that report's not going to get written and the emails aren't going to get answered. Like, it's not about me then working more hours, but it's about you figuring out a system that actually works that I can participate in. Got it. Right. So that would be a really important piece. And I, and I say this not to blame the worker, but to empower you to think about how to approach your situation rather than just take it and then be resentful, right? Like you said, from the inside out, not saying anyone else needs to change, but 
you're taking empowerment of your boundaries. That's an inside out. Yeah. And, and it comes from a really deep place, Andrea, because a lot of times when people aren't setting the boundary, it's because they don't believe that their needs are important. They don't believe that they deserve to be treated in a certain way. Even if it's a part of you, then it creates an internal conflict. And that's why it's hard for us to stand up for ourselves, right? But what I encourage people to do then is to say, like, if you are feeling resentful, that's always a sign that there are boundaries missing, right? So if you think red flag, it's, I'm feeling resentful. That's a sign that I have boundaries that I need to put into place. Now I have to ask myself the question, like, what would those boundaries be? How do I set them? What do I say? Like all those questions come after, but first, like, just let's diagnose the problem. Right. Yep. And if you know what the problem is, and it's still impossible for you to go ahead and dive into the solution of setting the boundaries, then it's a deeper issue of, I just don't believe in my worth, right? And I have to prove myself and they're asking me to do it. So it's something that I have to do, or I'm so bought into this idea that I got to get that promotion. So whatever they ask me to do, I just have to do it. And you're really setting yourself up there for burnout because, you know, I talk to people all the time. As a matter of fact, my husband was just telling me about a friend last night who, when we recently met up, the friend was telling us how he's kind of miserable in his job. And now his company's getting bought out, they're expanding and they're promoting him to this next level. And he will have to do more travel and do all these things that will absolutely burn him out even more. And I was, I was thinking about him and I was like, you know, it's that compulsion to prove yourself and that need to get that external validation that leads people to do things without boundaries that maximize them, you know, that takes like all their energy away and leads them to end up feeling really just exhausted and resentful. And, um, we have to do a really deep dive into our values and, uh, our belief system and figure out like what would work best for us. What are, and sometimes I ask my questions, my, my clients, these questions, and they really struggle because of that lack of self-belief, right? Like, what would you want your ideal situation to look like? And they're like, I can't even imagine it. Right. They don't even allow themselves permission to dream because they're so used to things being rotten or that, they have the belief that they don't deserve better. And that's where the deep inside out work really comes in. That's pretty powerful. I never really thought about it that way with this situation. Like, cause I hear this from all over the place, people saying, how do you do that? I just can't, I just don't have the bandwidth in the day to, to do this or to do that. And, and I think really, and then I look and I say, well, yeah, I can see what you're saying. You really don't. And then to dig deeper and see why yeah, there's a little bit more of it. So then you push back on your boss who wants you to do all these things. And what if they don't like it? And then you're afraid, are you going to lose your job that you rely on? Is that a possibility? So all these things, you know, as you push with your boundaries. Some of them. Yeah. And, and one of the things, I think that's a real fear that people have. And 
what I typically find is that when you set boundaries, people respect you more. True. Which is really powerful. Yep. Right. And um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and they were saying how they didn't get promoted at their job, even though they felt like they were the most solid candidate for this position. It went to somebody else who wasn't as qualified. And so she ended up leaving the organization, going somewhere else. And then maybe like a year or two later, that same original organization rehired her, not for the promotion that she had originally gone for, but for something even higher than that. And sometimes it, and that's really the boundaries like, oh, you're not going to hire me. Well, then I'm going to go somewhere else where they'll appreciate me more. And all of a sudden they see what they've lost. They start to, that's the boundary, right? They start to respect you. We're like, oh crap. Like we just lost this amazing person. Now, how do we get her back? Well, let's give her the next best thing, right? Like, let's give her like the even bigger prize. And then all of a sudden they get you back and they are appreciative of you, right? So sometimes just, you know, we don't set the boundaries because we're afraid, but I think the other side of that coin is sometimes it actually works way better for you because people are like, okay, that person has a lot of self-respect. They take themselves seriously. I have to respect that boundary. Right. And I think we've all had opportunities to talk to people where we feel like they have boundaries and we're like, Ooh, okay. Like uh, I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here because you're, you're feeling that energetically. Right. So, and then you, you also have the opposite experience where you talk to somebody and you're like, Oh, it's like totally wide open and there's nothing there. And you can like totally trample on the person. So I think there is that a uh, very clear, interpersonal feel when you're with somebody of like, what's going on and where is my place in that conversation? Right. So, um, it's not about having rigid boundaries, but it's about having some boundaries that say I'm willing to do up to this point. Right. And then beyond that, we need to negotiate. Um, the other thing I did want to mention is that sometimes these reports, like the situation you described, it could be a one-off. And so it's not like I'm never going to do right. anything, you know? And so if you're, if it's a one-off and you, you're still finding yourself being resentful because, you know, here you've worked all day and now you got to do this other, this other thing, then there's also an opportunity to just work on your thought process because it's exactly your thoughts that lead you to feeling resentful. So if you have the kinds of thoughts that are like, you know, they shouldn't ask me to do this stuff. This is this is kind of bullshit. And like, I should be able to just like take a night off after I've worked all day. Right. It's so easy for us to slip into that. But if it's really a one-off and you want to just get this done and you don't want to feel so rotten, then it's an opportunity to notice your thoughts and to then ask yourself the question, how do I want to feel about the fact that I'm going to sit down and write this report? Cause I've already made that decision. Right. And right. then you say, well, I want to feel what's that from the inside out again. Let's not, the yeah. report's not going away. So it's changed. Yes. Feel about what you're doing, which I read it somewhere in your book as I was reading it. And I thought that was one of the most powerful strategies because we've all had these horrible things that we have to do. 
And it just depends on the story we tell ourselves about what we're doing. We could make an awful story and convince the whole world that this is the worst thing that's happened to you. And they're all like, wow, I can't believe that that's happened to you. And then you can say it another way, but then tell the story a different way. And they're like, we'll get it done. It just depends on our own self-talk, right? 100%. So this happened a lot during COVID where I had a lot of clients that had tons of anxiety and a lot of resentment about, you know, having a quarantine, having to wear a mask, not being able to do whatever it was they were used to be to to doing. And I said to him, so, you know, we're not going to change the fact that COVID exists, but how do you want to feel about the fact that you're in quarantine? How do you want to feel about the fact that you're now working from home and your kids are being homeschooled? Right. And then it allows them to really design their experience on purpose. Right. It allows them to say, these are the things I can't control, but what I can control is how I think about it. And I think that's the part that's really empowering is where you focus on the things you have control over. And then you say, I want to feel calm. I want to feel confident whatever that is. Right. And then you kind of back up the tape and you say, so what do I need to think about the situation in order to feel calm? And that might be, it's not ideal, but I've got this. Right. Or this is temporary and I'm going to get through it. Mm-hmm. Or if it's that report at night, it's, you know, this is a one-time thing and I'm just going to bang this out and it's going to be amazing tomorrow morning. And the resentment goes when you do. Yeah. Because, because our feelings are a direct result of our thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if you are stuck in a negative emotional state and you want to change that, you have to ask yourself, what am I feeding myself in terms of thoughts, right? Where is my mind going when it comes to this situation? And once you identify what those thoughts are, you just clean it up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you clean it up where you say, okay, I could think about it this way, or I could think about it that way. And then I'll say, well, when you think about it this way, how resentful do you feel zero to 10? And they'll say, well, it's gone down from like a six to a three but they're still feeling a little resentful. And like, what about this thought? How resentful do you feel when you say it this way to yourself? And they'll say, well, yeah, that one's like a one, right? And then we'll, you could go that way where you start from the thought and you kind of check in with the feeling, or you can completely revamp it in the way that I was just mentioning where you say, well, how do I want to feel? Like I feel resentful, but I really want to feel fill in the blank, right? And then back it up and say, so how do I need to think about it? changing your thoughts to change how you feel to change your results yeah takes that stressful scenario and made it more manageable that's Mm -hmm. that's amazing i love it and then you know another direction we can go is when you think about what is draining your energy what are your energy drains and my goal is to help you minimize those So if you start to look at, yeah, when I think in this way, it's an energy drain. Cause when I think like, oh, they shouldn't be asking me to do this. So last minute, that might be an energy drain. It might be uh, working without breaks all day is an energy drain. 
It might be going to 10 meetings in a day is an energy drain. It might be having 180 emails an hour is an energy drain. You know, like it could be anything, right? Depending on like your work situation. So identify what those factors are and then look to see how you can minimize as many of those as possible. That's really empowering when you understand what those are. And it could be that, you know, after I work, I have to go make dinner. Then maybe you have your husband make the dinner or you have your wife make the dinner or you have your kids make the dinner or you get uh, delivery or, you know, so you look for ways to say, like, I've got so much going on and these are the things that really kind of light me up. And like uh, when I do them. Actually, get energized. I want to do more of those things. And these are the things that really drain me. And I want to do less of those things and being really strategic about how to maximize your time in the things that energize you and minimize the time around those energy drains. That's a very strategic way of going about it so that you aren't getting to that place of burnout, right? You're you're looking for like how to put out these fires before they become out of control. And so you answered my question on how do we become more stress hardy and gain control over those too many demands by just saying you identify what's draining your energy, like writing a list and and making sure that you're going to do less of those energy drains and more of the energy gains, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's always more than one way to do this, but that's certainly one way. Um, And then another way might be If you're feeling exhausted, then it would be about how can I recover my energy, right? So um, maybe for some people, it's when I'm when I'm really exhausted, I go for a run and I feel revitalized. And for other people, it's like I just need to lie down and listen to some music because I'm already like so exhausted. I just need to like turn everything off, right? So it's very individual. But knowing what your needs are and how to meet those needs around energy. So it's about like recovering the energy that you've drained out throughout the day. We're kind of like, I always say like our cell phones where we've got a certain amount in our battery. And if you don't charge your phone all day and you've been using it, at some point it's going to run out of juice, right? right? So it's about like figuring out how can I recharge, right? What does that look like? And then how do I maintain that energy And that's through eliminating some of those energy drains, right? And it's about eliminating also the kinds of tasks that perhaps are less engaging, as we talked about in the beginning. So it might be like, when I work on these kinds of tasks, it feels really monotonous. And I'm the kind of person who really likes a challenge. So maybe somebody else in the company can work on this while I work on brainstorming or problem solving or whatever, something creative, right? So the more you know yourself and you understand like what holds your attention and what inspires you and uh, what energizes you. And, and also the other side of that coin, the more you can actually be strategic in how you show up to work. And a lot of that is going to help minimize the effects of stress on you. This is really good. So when I'm thinking about all of this, I'm thinking what's really at the root of the problem of burnout And why does the traditional definition of success that, you know, we all, like you said, want to just keep doing more and pushing more on our plate, why does it leave many of us burned out? Where's this all coming from? So this may or may not surprise you, (laughs) 
but being a psychologist, I'm always digging for the root causes of things. And from my experience, what I've found is the majority of the time it's coming from a limiting belief, which usually sounds either something like I'm not enough. And it could be like, I'm not doing good enough work. And that's the perfectionist version of that, or I'm not doing enough work. And that's kind of more what I call the doer mentality, right? Where you're like, go, go, go. And nothing you do is ever enough. So you always have to take on more stuff, right? Um, Or the people pleaser person who's always taking other people's requests and trying to like, please more and do more and right. So it's not about like achieving more, but more about pleasing more people and that sort of thing. So any of those versions comes usually down to, I'm not enough. So it's kind of an inadequacy belief um, or I'm not worthy of good treatment or asking for that raise or whatever it is that I maybe really want on the inside. So I don't really go for it. Right. And therefore I have to do all this stuff externally to feel like I am worthy. And so when we think about burnout, the very first stage of burnout typically is that compulsion to prove yourself. And that compulsion is, we could say like coming from the ego, right? Where we are, uh, having to have that validation from outside where people give you that pat on the back and they're like, great job. You know, you get that promotion, you get that raise, you get the admiration, whatever it is. And we're so hungry for that appreciation and for that admiration and for that pat on the back. And I think partly it's because we don't give it to ourselves. So one of the biggest things I see, one of the biggest challenges, believe it or not, is the lack of self-compassion. And I have my clients actually take a self-compassion assessment and you would not believe how low they score on these things, right? Because they're so self-critical. They're so filled with negativity. They beat themselves up over every mistake they make. They have such high expectations for themselves. And partly, if you think about it, it makes sense within this paradigm that if I'm not inherently worthy and in order for me to feel good, I need to do something outside. I got to prove myself through my work and I make a mistake or I have some failure or I haven't uh, done a good job on that report that even though it was 11 o'clock at night, I'm still working on it then it's going to come back to bite me and I'm never going to get to what I really want, which is that pat on the back. Right. But if we can get to a place where we actually see our own inherent worth, where we believe that we're important, where we see that we too have needs and that's where the boundaries come in, where we're like, you know, you, you want me to do this and I have all this other stuff that I got to do. Like, I have to eat and I have to take a a bathroom break, right? Like how many people working all day without breaks and not even going to the bathroom, right? I mean, it's gone to that level. Um, Or I want to spend some time with my family at night and I don't want to be on my computer during dinner, right? Things like that. Or I haven't been sleeping because there's been so much to do and it's such a crunch time and it's really taking a toll on me. Or the other thing that happens is people work so hard all day 
that they're like feeling like, you know what? I deserve some time for myself. So what they do is they stay up late to watch Netflix or to do something on Facebook or, you know, because that's my me time, but then they get less sleep. And then the less sleep they get, the less energy they have, the harder it is to focus at work. And they start to see their performance decline. And all of a sudden they start to think there's something wrong with me. I used to be able to do this. It starts to affect their confidence and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like the more tired you are, the more tired you are kind of a thing. So it's, it's like all of those things. It's really complex, It is. but you, but you can see how all these concepts kind of tie in together. Yeah, it's not what I was thinking that we were going to talk about as I was getting into the questions about burnout, which is, you know, I do too much and, and I shut down, my brain shuts down. Like we've all heard that definition of burnout, but I've never really thought about burnout as being like our fault because we didn't set a boundary because we didn't think we were worth the boundary. Is that basically what you're you're saying behind everything is it needs to be coming from us more about taking ownership so i would say yes and it's never one version okay so you could be in a really stressful situation where your job is asking for too much and you've got a lot going on at home right i've talked to people who were working inordinate amount of hours. Like I, I interviewed this woman for my burnout podcast and she was saying that she was going through medical residency, which is a very, very stressful time. She was pregnant with her third child and she knew she was going to go on leave. So to compensate, cause she didn't want to burden the person who was going to take over her stuff while she was gone. She put in like 120 hours in her last week of pregnancy right? And she still had two kids at home, let's not forget, right? So this is what I'm talking about, where sometimes it comes from our external world where people are asking too much of us, or we've got a lot going on at work, and we've got like a whole bunch of stuff going on at home, like you have the death of a a parent that happened suddenly, or you've got a child with special needs, or all of a sudden, you've got to homeschool your kids because schools close, right? Like all these different things happen in life. So that's what I call environmental stressors. But you then also combined with that, have your own DNA of like how you show up. And I call that your burnout code, right? Where that's your programming, that's your personality that you bring to the table that coupled with the environmental stressors are the things that are going to lead you to burnout. And there's different versions of that, which is why I always say it's important for you to decode your burnout to figure out what are those contributing factors, because based on that, you have to find very unique solutions to you as opposed to like, oh, let me go on vacation because that doesn't really solve anything, right? right? So so I think it's it's really important for people to understand that sometimes it's external, sometimes it's internal, and a lot of times it's both. And you, the only thing you can do is focus on the things you have control over. And so identify what those things are and then see what you can do about those. And that's where you feel more empowered. That's where you can start to make some changes. And you'd be surprised that you have control over a lot more than you realize when you start digging. It's so true. And then you talk about using and training our mind to work for us rather than against us. 
And is that just by knowing what we need to do less of and more of to, to keep us from burnout or what would you say? No. Um, so we have our conscious mind, which is kind of what we've been talking about today, which is, you know, the approach of changing your thought process so that you can feel the way that you want to feel. It's a very cognitive process, very conscious thing that you do. But when we talk about our beliefs and a lot of the ways that we show up, it's so much of it is driven by our subconscious mind. And that's a lot harder for us to see because it's so ingrained. That's our programming. So ingrained in our belief system and how we cope with things in the way that we engage, whether you're going to have that compulsion to prove yourself. And right. We said, comes back to that belief that you're not good enough or that you're not worthy unless you prove that you can achieve something, right? Those kinds of beliefs you can change by working directly with the subconscious. And so I actually put together a program that focuses on brain priming. And if you've ever heard the term priming, it's kind of like when you set up your environment to get you into the zone, to think a certain way or to feel a certain way, right? Um, and we can do that actually with our subconscious. And the way that we do that through brain priming is we come up with exactly what you want to believe, what, how you want to behave in certain situations, what you want to think, how you want to feel, like take everything that doesn't work right now and flip it around, do a 180 on all of it. And then what I do is I actually create a recording for people of those statements that don't feel true, but are like the wishful thinking. They're like, what I want to believe about myself, like how I want to engage when I'm feeling really stressed out instead of pulling my hair out, right? How I want to feel instead of resentful or when it comes to boundary setting, like we just did this in the group where people are having a really hard time setting boundaries. And it's because of their beliefs about themselves and their beliefs about what other people will think if they set boundaries, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we reprogram you to think differently about boundaries. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, it's so much easier now to set boundaries. And as a result of doing that, what would you know? I have more bandwidth to reshuffle my own stuff and to focus on me and to streamline my process and just feel more confident. Like everything starts to shift, but it has to start from really targeting the subconscious because that's what's kind of driving the show without us even realizing it. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but they say your subconscious mind is something like 90 to 95% of everything that we do. Like we don't, we're not even aware. We only have a very, very small awareness of our processes, right? Of what, what we think and what we think we think, right? But it's so much of it is like under the surface. So if we can pull that out and start to manipulate it and reprogram it, all of a sudden life's just easier. And I'm all about easy. <laughs> I like how you were doing what we used to call loop tapes. I worked with a speaker that talked a lot about, you know, our subconscious mind and how it's controlling us. And he would, whenever we were stuck, he would say, let's do a loop tape for you. And like you said, say what you want over and over again, because in the beginning, what you want sounds weird that because you don't have it yet. 
And until you hear that over and over again, it ingrains eventually into your subconscious mind where you believe it or saying your goals out twice a day. It seems weird. Like I sometimes stand in my office against my wall. I have them written out. And in the very beginning of the year, when I'm saying what I want to accomplish that year, it just sounds off the wall. Like there's no way. And then after saying it over and over again, eventually it just makes sense. And then you something happens and you're like, oh, I'm living it. So yeah. that repetition of belief takes it from subconscious to conscious until we're actually doing it, which I think is, is the powerful part. Yeah. And I was just sharing this with a client of mine yesterday who is really struggling in this area because she's been negative her whole life, right? She's very fearful, tons of anxiety. And she's like, I don't even know that this can work for me. Right. And I said, well, think about it like this. You've got two arms and you've been going to the gym and you've just been doing curls on your left arm. So that arm is really strong and it's easier for you to be able to pull on things and do things with that arm. The other arm you haven't given any attention to. So of course, you're going to just defer to the stronger arm when you need something because it just can do more, right? But it's time to go to the gym and work the other arm. And all of a sudden, when you do that, you've got options. You can think about it this way and you can think about it the other way. And when you have that, that feels powerful, right? Where, you, where you're giving yourself the option of thinking about it differently now. And so what that means is with, as you said, with the loop tape is when, you know, when you think about the difference between a thought and a belief, a belief is just a thought that you've had over and over again. So it's like taking that thought and pulling weights on that arm. Right. And it's like, you could do the same thing and you can ingrain the beliefs that you actually want by just practicing them, as you mentioned over and over again. And then what do you know, your brain doesn't actually have a preference. It's just like, Oh, okay. That's the program you want me to run. Cool. I got it. Let's go. Yeah. So you want to pick the right one, not be running a loop tape of all the things that you can't do. Think exactly. Exactly. This is, this is amazing. This is how I can see we're targeting burnout from the inside out. It has nothing to do with switching jobs, changing environments. It's all coming from within, which is what I thought was different from your work right off the bat. Did I, did I pick that up right so I think that's that's a large part of it. I do want to say that there are obviously times when you want to leave your job, like if it's a really toxic environment, if you're not being treated fairly, like we don't want to have anybody be traumatized because their workplace is just absolutely toxic. Um, so there's always a time for that. But what I tend to find more times than not is that that's ne not necessarily the case, but people love their job. And they want to figure out how to be able to do it, but they can't figure that out, right? So they're like, well, if this is how it's going to be, then I can't keep doing this. Now I got to figure something else out. And sometimes it's about changing jobs. And other times it's like, I got to reinvent myself and have a completely new career. And I always say like, let's put the brakes on for a minute. Let's just see if you really love this and you want to do this. Let's just see if there's a way to make that work right? Because you've just poured like 10 years of your life into getting to this position before we have to reinvent the wheel. Let's just see if there's a way that you can still do the work that you love, 
because so many of them feel really heartbroken. You know, I work with a lot of physicians in particular, and you know how long they go to med school for, right? And all of the student loans that they have to pay back. And all of a sudden they're working in this environment that is very challenging. And so they're like, I love medicine, but I can't do this. Right. And it's like, okay, well, before you like dump it and let's like figure out your next career move, like if you really want to make this work, maybe there is something that can salvage it. And that's where the inside out work really comes in handy. This is good. And what about just kind of bringing this all in together? Is there anything that's important that I've missed about your work and, and recognizing when we're about to burn out ways to prevent it from the inside out taking control? What have I missed? Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that I've written about and I, I, I can share, but probably uh, we've given a lot of things for people to think about and I don't want to overwhelm anyone. But what I will say is that um, if, you, if you understand what burnout is, which is basically in a, in a word, uh, chronic stress, um, and you find ways to manage that stress you can prevent burnout. So that's a really simplified thing for you to kind of walk away with. And I also think that it's important to understand based on your personality, what leads you to really stress out, right? And um, I've kind of grouped people into these three different buckets, if you will. And so if you're a thinker, you're the kind of person probably listening to this podcast who is very much in your head, you might on a bad day, you know, be very self-critical, be struggling with things like perfectionism and imposter syndrome and have a lot of anxiety. So for the thinkers, it's really when things are unpredictable, when you have to get out of your comfort zone, you're dealing with something new, um, that's gonna bring up a lot of anxiety so notice if you're starting to feel overloaded with stress, um, it might be because that's just how your brain works, right? That's just how you're wired. And so you have to be really strategic about the kind of solutions that you're gonna apply for you. So it could be about like managing your thoughts, right? And getting to a place where you're more confident so there's less anxiety, things of that nature. And then the second bucket would be your feelers, which are People just take on too many things, and I've mentioned them earlier, usually for other people, especially things that don't align with their own values, and then they don't feel appreciated for doing everything that they're doing, and that kind of leads them to feel really overwhelmed, resentful, burned out. And so for them, the boundaries are gonna be super huge, and that comes from the work of first identifying that you are important, that you do have needs, and that you matter, and being really strategic about what you take on and what you don't. And one of the things that I teach people when we're talking about boundaries that I think is really missing is how to do that, how to set boundaries. Because I was just doing this corporate training and one of the things they were saying is, oh, you know, we have all these things going on and we're really, really stressed out. And our company says, just set boundaries. And I'm like, that's nice to say, but people don't know how to do it. Like we have to break these concepts down, right? So one of the things that I did was I actually created, like we said, that loop tape. And I actually spelled out like 
when somebody asks me to do something, my menu options are yes, no, not right now. I can only do this part. I can't, you know, I can do this or that. Like we have options. And the more we kind of think about, oh, there's so many ways that I can set boundaries, but it has to start from that place of like appreciating our own self. Right. So that's what I would typically encourage feelers to focus on. And then the doers, obviously, it's that overcommitment due to shiny object syndrome. So they're always taking on the next thing. And it's about really like slowing down and thinking more strategically about like, do I need to take this on? Like, what's the best thing for me to focus on right now? Like, I I got too much going on already. Maybe I don't say yes to this. Right. And I had a client mention just earlier this week how. Um, she's been holding off. So they'll be in a meeting and usually she's like volunteering. She's like the first person. Oh yeah, I'll do that. So she said, you know what? I've just been taking a back seat and letting other people pipe up. And it's been an interesting ride. Like ever since she started setting that boundary, she's like, okay, it's giving an opportunity for other people to step up and I don't have to do everything. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's an eye-opening experience. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dr. Grossman, I want to thank you so much for your time today on the podcast and really opening up my mind to looking at burnout from a different angle. For people who want to learn more about you, you are offering a free dial back your stress breakthrough session. And I'll put the link book a chat with Sharon.com in the show notes. And I just will also put the links for people to follow you. And I want to thank you so much for this offer for people to come work with you. I've learned so much just from this short (laughs) session here and your book and from interacting with you. It started from the minute that you wanted me to know who you were. I got to know who you were from that first interaction and that was memorable. So thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today. Thank you so much, Andrea, for having this platform to really teach people about the brain and bringing on guests that can really further your mission. And I also wanna say, you know, we talked a little bit high level today about a lot of things. And there's also, of course, things that we didn't get to. And that's really why I also created a burnout checklist, which I'm happy to share with your audience. What it does is it helps you self-diagnose which phase of burnout you might be in. And then based on that, what you need to focus on, which, and it also will help uh, connect you to the rest of my world. So for people who are curious about what's going on for them, um, I want to direct you to my website, which is drsharongrossman.com forward slash burnout checklist. And that's a free download. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank you so much for everything today. Thank you. It's been great. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.